Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Am I on? Oh, yeah. Do cats know when their people are going to die? Did three mountain bikers recently encounter a reptilian humanoid in the Arizona desert? How does the island theory affect our understanding of ghosts? Hey there, and welcome to the 530th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and you know it is a Monday because those many and varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So this evening we bring you the first open line show we've had in months, Ugh, a long time. And those emails have been piling up for weeks. We just shoveling, we shoved out a shoveled out a bunch from the back room, and here we are. So we also take phone calls this evening. So if you have a question or a comment of your own, you can call four zero one seven six six one two four zero or anywhere from uh, anywhere in the uh, U.S. or Canada area eight hundred four four nine one two four zero. Does that include uh, Iceland? Yes. Um, no, it doesn't. That's a joke. Anyway, uh, before we begin the festivities, I wanted to wish everybody uh, who was celebrating it a happy Passover, which begins today. And uh, that will be going on, so uh, happy Passover to those, uh, those folks. Okay, so let's, uh, let's begin here. Uh, wh- there is, um, and I have to uh, offer an apology to this listener because I have not answered his last missive. Uh, he's, we're carrying on a conversation via Facebook, and this is from Mike uh, in Illinois, and uh, we'll go through Mike's questions and my answers, or comments and my answers. Cool. Paul, I've been invited to join a paranormal investigation group here in Illinois, and that it uh, names the, the group, uh, which I, is something that I've been interested in doing since I'll be retiring from my day job in banking after nearly 40 years. It was probably, might even be my vintage Although I'm very interested in this opportunity, I was wondering if you had any advice and or words of caution slash wisdom that I should be aware of prior to getting involved with this endeavor. Any information you could share would be appreciated. All right, now here's what I answered back. Uh, I don't know about that, Mike. My initial reaction isn't good. I've seen their site, silly pictures and music, and unless there's a, uh, well, there's a certain profession that is strongly implied in their name. So I think that that is a possible misrepresentation, perhaps a lawsuit waiting to happen. Who knows? Uh, so anyway, uh, so why don't you drop an email to me uh, at paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Uh, it's much easier than Facebook. So we switched over to regular email. Hi, Mike. And, and he, he did that. In addition to what I said, I'm sure you've heard the warnings we always mention on the show to seek out paranormal activity slash entities is a profoundly stupid thing to do. <laughs> unless you have exceptional experience and qualifications. Those qualifications do not necessarily include being psychic, having grown up in a haunted house, being a devotee of paranormal TV shows, being a self-appointed expert, reading books by other self-appointed experts, or even having a reverend or even a doctor in front of your name. It's fine to be interested. In fact, I believe that everyone should be educated about the so-called paranormal because it's completely normal background to our entire history and reality. So are seismic events and wild animals. To know about earthquakes and volcanoes is great, and to study lions, tigers, and bears is too. But to seek them out without serious guidance and knowledge is astoundingly dumb. I've seen people wreck their lives over this stuff. They end up bringing things home with them, parasite attachments, and all too deadly ego trip. 
It can be bad enough when the peril comes to you, but to invite it. In fairness, I don't know this group, but, I'll stay, but I'd say stay away. And if they seek to render advice to others, that seriously expands the damage path. I'd like to deal with this on the air, if I may, and that's what we're doing. So uh, I, I, I have uh, this conversation is still continuing, but that advice, I read it on the air because we think it would apply to just about everyone who was uh, invited to join such groups yeah. or, is, um, or has the opportunity. Ben, what say you? No, I agree with that statement. I mean, there should be some sort of de- some degree of caution in everything that you do. Mm. I, I mean, if somebody just comes up to you and asks, hey, do you want to join this group? I mean, you wouldn't just say, well, yeah, sure. It's like you really need to you need to think about what you're getting into. You need to know who these people are, and you need to know what they do. And if they're as professional as they sound, then I would steer clear from it. There's some degree of uh, preparation and research that goes in that goes into this. Plus, we don't really know ourselves, so it, it's it's all part of a learning process, and it's an ongoing process that is um, far from done, in my opinion. Well, w- one point that is often made to me, maybe to you as well, is uh, one that I think is well taken, and that's well, h- how did you start out, meaning me? Oh yeah. All right. And uh, because there are, I, well, there are a few institutions that grant degrees in parapsychology, and that's something. Uh, I do not have one of those degrees. I have a degree in philosophy, and I studied theology at length in the seminary, prepared for the priesthood, where they did not teach you about this stuff. However, by the time that question began to occur to me, should I be doing this, I, it was all, I had already been doing it for 15 or 20 years, and they had already thrown me out of the seminary for mm. being involved with it, even though I had some of the best... Uh, people around, uh, even in, in the church, who were uh, mentoring me on this. But in any case, it is a legitimate question how any of us are doing this stuff. Um, so, in any case, uh, th- that's, what, that's what that is, and we'll, uh, we'll move on to the next point. We'll, we'll discuss that again. If you'd like, again, to discuss that, if you, are, you yourself are involved in a paranormal group and have questions about it, or disagree with us, uh, then... Please, by, by all means, call us again locally, 401-766-1240 or 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. Uh, or, or Canada. The, um, the, the point about bringing things home and uh, also seeking to counsel others, I mean, I mean in fairness to many paranormal groups, uh, we've, we have encountered them and we will be encountering several in, in less than two weeks at... Uh, the Parafest in uh, Nashville, New Hampshire, at which we are speaking, and we, we welcome anyone who comes, certainly, uh, and we encourage people to go. I'm sure that we will encounter groups that are very serious about what they are, very careful, are aware of the dangers, and um, I have been impressed from time to time by some groups. Others, not at all, and others are really scary in themselves, never mind having anything to do with ghosts. So it depends on the on the group, and and the serious approach, uh, but again, there are dangers, how, whether, whether you're serious or not. So anyway, here's one. This, this one is from Chuck in North Carolina. Uh, Paul and Ben, I thought, oh, here I am reading. You're supposed to read these. No, please. Okay, <laughs> all right. I insist. All right. Uh, I'll, take the, I, I'll take the next one. Okay. Uh, I thought of both of you when this happened. At work, third shift told me that our cat, I, apparently this is in a, um, a medical institution of some sort, the dementia unit, I guess it sure is, the dementia unit has its own cat. Actually, the cat was a resident who was totally unaware of anything, let alone the cat. This resident had to move upstairs, but we kept the cat. 
The cat, the cat was yowling all through the night shift. Never has done that. Always a very mellow cat. Totally scared the staff on duty because it was so weird, quote unquote. And the, and the next day, his original owner died. By the time the cat was yowling was, uh, was when this resident had already taken a big turn and was well on his way out, although his body still had vital signs. Interesting. So when my cats uh, start yowling away the night, I guess I better take my vital signs too. <laughs> Hope all's well on your end. And again, Chuck from North Carolina. <laughs> Of course, this, you hear this all the time, animals being sensitive to this. I remember a few years ago, there was, there was a, much was made of a cat in a nursing home who actually belonged to the nursing home. And when anyone was seriously ill and was ready to translate, as we say, this cat would spend the previous 12 to 24 hours sitting on this person's bed. And Well, I remember hearing this story. Oh, yeah, it was all over the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if anybody wanted the cat after that, but... Yeah, I, but, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't want that. Lived in the nursing home, but but there, there is this. I see nothing ominous in this. I mean, this comes across to me as a certain loving, gentle acknowledgement of a change that's coming. At least that's how I see. But I don't see anything scary in this at all. You always hear the spooky of, cat. Yeah. Well, you know, your grandmother used to say whenever we heard an owl, "Oh, somebody's going to die." I mean, we would have. We didn't. We kind of lived in a in a. I don't know. Sort of. Uh, well, it wasn't a rural area. What do you do if you live in the woods for Pete's sake and there are owls every night? Gosh, people must be dropping like <laughs> one. Uh, I remember up here, we live on Fairmount Hill in uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island here, and the, uh, last year there was a screech owl. There was always a screech owl up in the woods there. Oh, yeah. And usually the sound is very mellow, and sort of a, a very lovely trill, and you hear that. But sometimes they, they do make the sound that has uh, won them such a wonderful name, and it sounds just like a woman screaming. And uh, this particular owl was flying through the air, screaming, and uh, there were uh, people emerged from their back doors. You know, how huh, what? No, so I explained to yeah, that was, anybody that was... who could hear me that it was a screech. Yeah, summers are always interesting over so I on screech myself. Oh yes, yes indeed. But it is uh, nevertheless a, uh, a very interesting uh, phenomenon. Indeed, it is. Okay, not a problem. All right. Okay, so yeah, if anyone has stories like that, we're always interested in hearing them. What, uh, owls flying around screaming? Owls screaming and cats yowling and when and people uh, sort of saying, see you later uh, that, that very night. Right, now this is an interesting one. This was sent to us by Jamie in Arizona. And it's... Uh, sure it's do you want, do you want to read that? Sure you, you don't have funny. to if you're busy monitoring that other thing. Oh, sorry. Oh. It's okay. Classified. Uh, um, uh, I can. Already, you sure it's not Jaime? No, no, no. J- Jamie. Well, He's written to us before. Uh, already, so uh, Jamie writes to us, A group of uh, three mountain bikers reportedly saw a reptilian humanoid last week in the middle of a trail located on the uh, Sonoran, Sonoran? Sonora. Sonoran, Sonoran Desert. Sonoran Desert. I should know this. That, that straddles sp- the U.S.-Mexico border. I speak English, and yet I can't. I, can, I don't even know. Uh, the bicyclists were riding the, uh, 20, the 24 hours in the old uh, Pueblo race course, a 17-mile 17, 17 trail when they spotted the creature. It's a tough one, said uh, G. Johnson, a 34-year-old, uh, uh, a self-described business person from Tuscan. Or, or, sorry, Tucson. I can't read. Tucson. 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 Ooh. Jeez. You've been I to Arizona. Sure. I know. Well, there you go. All you, right, all right, all right. Okay, I, I know you're, you're trying yes. to, to do something else. Yes. All right. Uh, I don't know where you left off here. Uh, the second paragraph. Okay. Uh, all right. It's a tough one, said G. Johnson, 34, self-described business person from Tucson. It is a 24-hour track. 
So you better come prepared with, in other words, anybody, any of our English listeners would understand, but it's, uh, the track being the path or something. In other words, it takes 24 hours to do the whole course. Uh, so you better come prepared with more than enough food and water. There are times you just want to go back and wish you had never got there in the first place. But when you see what nature has to offer you here, well, those regrets dissipate rather quickly. Unquote. Johnson states that he and two other friends were halfway into the track when something terrifying, quote, unquote, made the group consider canceling the ride. Quote, we had, been, we had been riding for about, I don't know, maybe nine hours, taking breaks every now and then. If I was riding a bike for that long, I'd see things too. That's yeah, not exactly. A, that's my comment. <laughs> then Michael says he needs to stop for a minute. We are waiting for him to finish when all of a sudden we see this long figure walking across the trail. He is maybe six foot tall, very, very skinny, and it had an awkward gait like a monkey or a man with a disease, almost robotic, kind of, kind of, unquote, he told Cryptozoology News. According to the eyewitness, two of the men were watching the strange animal, while the third one, Michael, was aware of what was happening. Quote, then all I remember about Michael is him saying, what the hey is that, or something like that. But he sounded far away. He probably used a different word instead of hell. <laughs> thing is, we had somehow walked a little towards the thing, don't ask me why, maybe to look at it better, not knowing what it was, unquote. Then Johnson says the creature, quote, heard Michael speak, unquote, and apparently took, taking notice of the intruders, its head took an eerie 280-degree turn. That's, well, that's like the, different. It's like the this, is the, this is the 40th anniversary of the Exorcist. Yeah. yeah. He stopped. Uh, Forte and Times uh, made much of, is making much of that in its current issue. Quote, he stopped and it made eye contact with me, and I could see him clearly. The eyes were kind of like a snake's, but blackened with a yellow stripe in the middle of the eye. Huh. It's like the opposite. Yeah. yeah. It had green and red scales on the face and head. The red color was kind of like the same as the desert sand there, and it looked like it had a sandy texture, too. It did not have a nose, only two holes on it. I couldn't see any ears or hair. A red mouth that looked like it had blood around it, but it didn't look like it was bleeding. It looked like a pattern. It reminded me of a chameleon, but it looked like a person, too, unquote. Allegedly, the creature raised its quote, long arms with strange-looking claws that looked like a bunch of a branch full of thorns, unquote, and waved at them, emitting a, a loud, chattering sound with its teeth. Sounds like somebody at a sports event. <laughs> then it rapidly ran away in a fashion that reminded the witness of, quote, a lizard trying to hide. Another quote, he looked like he was examining us and then ran into the desert. How do they know it was a he? We thought about going back the same way we came, but we thought it didn't matter since we were in the middle of the track anyway. We were scared, to be honest. None of us had ever seen anything like it. It lasted only a few seconds, but it felt longer than that, at least to me. So after we talked about it for a while, we decided to go on and finish the track, unquote. Johnson believes that what they saw was real and not a product of their imaginations. Quote, when you read these stories online or watch them on TV, well, you think, men, man, these people are crazy or meds or something or in need of attention. But this made me a believer. There has to be more uh, of them out there. If there's one, there's got to be two at least, right? I know most people won't believe a word I said. That's the way I used, to, I used to be. I don't blame them at all, but they are out there. Now, I'm not saying this is an alien or a chupacabra or anything like that. Funny, everybody knows about chupacabras, mm. right? 
All I'm saying is I have never seen anything like it in my life. I'm no biologist, so what do I know? Unquote. Theories of subterranean uh, alien bases are popular in the UFO community and describe the entities as humanoids of reptilian appearance. This thing sounds reptiles kind of, of human appearance. This thing sounded kind of goofy. I mean, it just saw them flailed its arms around, chattered a bit. Well, maybe it's just trying away. to be uh, friendly. Southwestern <laughs> Native American legends, and you've been down there in the reservations. So have you. Southwestern Native American legends tell the story of underground creatures living next to humans for thousands of years. People living around the New Mexico border report strange lights in the sky and bizarre phenomena, indirectly creating a thin line between cryptozoology and ufology. Writer Mac Tunney's in his book, The Crypto-Terrestrials, a meditation on indigenous humanoids and the aliens among us. Sounds like a Rene Descartes if he uh, was a ufologist. <laughs> right. Anyway, the book proposes the idea that certain alien sightings, quote-unquote, could be attributed to the existence of a group of humanoid species endemic to Earth. Well, that's a mouthful, at least for your, for your brain. Yeah, I, that, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I, I mean, sure, they definitely experienced something, but you know what I always find, like, kind of funny? You know, like, whenever people see, like, crypt, cryptids or whatever, it, they're always walking, like adjacent to them it's like they're always wander across your path usually left to right and they usually just take absolutely no notice of you whatsoever i i know like every almost every single report of bigfoot that i've seen or read he just walks across the road or walks across a path it's like why are they always walking across paths i just get to the other side ha why'd the sasquatch cross the road to get to the other side (laughs) well yeah I mean, well, the, the, there are several layers here that are, that are interesting to discuss. One is the whole reptilian thing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the legends are pretty common around the world of, of creatures like this. And just as with UFOs, they seem to be reported in ways that conform with the culture that is reporting them. In other words, the uh, Egyptians and the Romans reported flying shields, okay, with, with rather frequently, actually. And th- later on, they became, you know, airships and things of this kind. And uh, the, even from the 14th, 15th centuries, uh, when we were in England, or when we spoke at uh, in the, the the county of Suffolk at the Rendlesham Forest vicinity, right. uh, that whole area. And, and our contention in our talk there was it wasn't just the UFO experiences of 1980, but throughout known history, the place has been weird. And uh, we were talking about an air battle that supposedly occurred in the 1500s, uh, 20, 30 miles from there on the, on the coast of the North Sea. People saw it and because uh, they didn't know what it was. But, of course, this is how people in the, at the time would have interpreted UFO activity, uh, I suppose, uh, very active UFO activity. So does that mean it depends on context? I think very often it depends on context. However, when you, when you see a tall, six-foot reptilian creature, uh, first true. of all, six foot is the same height as, as the you know garden variety man, maybe at least in the modern times. Yeah. Um, was this somebody in a suit? You know, but there's something about somebody in a suit. You know, you you can kind of tell that. And I mean, we yeah. weren't there, and we're always criticizing skeptics. Who That's true. There I'm not, I'm not saying were. that they didn't experience it. I'm just saying that I just think it's kind of it's kind of funny how a lot of these cryptids behave, have like the same kind of behavior. Yeah. Exhibited in almost every case. Well, when you encounter any, any animal in the wild, they're they're going somewhere and doing something, and they they almost will exhibit similar. Yeah. Uh, reactions. I actually to thought your about presence. that right as I was making that statement. Yeah. So it's just like, oh yeah, well, I mean, you have deer jumping in the road all the time. Well, another another level on this. I mean, if we're uh, anywhere near um, 
accurate on this multiverse thing, there may be, there must be certain, because we can imagine it, so there must be somewhere in, the, in this collection of this elegant uh, community of universes where all things that could happen actually do happen in mm. one place or another. There could have been one where the dinosaurs were never destroyed yeah. by the comet or the asteroid, if, if that's what happened, or whatever did do them in. The um, possibility there would be that they would have continued to evolve, and there might be uh, an intelligent humanoid reptilian today in such a world. So is this some sort of uh, nexus between two worlds they happen to run into, and both people on both sides were surprised to, to see the other? Remember that, that, that letter we got from Australia with, the, with the, these retirees? Oh, the dinosaur in their backyard. Yeah, they happen to look out their, kids in their, their kitchen window, and a dinosaur <laughs> walks by. <laughs> Talk say, about walking with dinosaurs. Walking with dinosaurs, or, having, or walking by dinosaurs. Or walking... Having dinosaurs walk through your walk yard. through your yard. The, mo- sort of the movie. So um, anyway, it's uh, th- these are all possibilities. And oh yeah, you know, as I say, when I was a reporter uh, many years ago, I learned one of the first things I learned was first of all, always have a camera, mm. always have a tape recorder or the equivalent at the time, and all and and don't be too sure what not to believe. That's true. All right, so that's, that, very that's true. Thing. But you know, of course, look at it with the, with this healthy skepticism and, and uh, objectivity if you can. All right. Uh, here's one from Brian in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Alrighty, so Brian writes to us, Dear Paul and Ben, can animals protect us from the more unsavory inhabitants of the multiverse? Uh, I had been subject to scratch marks while sleeping. I had no sharp objects in bed. I did not attempt to reproduce uh, marks by scratching myself, but uh, could not. The the old hag at work, uh, quotes around the old hag, mm. uh, four, uh, four summers ago, uh, a, one, a uh, one-footed uh, cockatoo, or cockatiel, whatever, whatever, however you pronounce that, just la- landed in our yard and we adopted him. Uh, the scratching has ended since. The bird does make a fuss sometimes in the early morning. Recently, he went really crazy at 3 a.m. Is this bird protecting me in some way? Thanks for your insights, Brian. The Devil's Hour. Remember that? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, last summer we were in the uh, Warner Brothers featurette that went with the Conjuring movie, uh, and the entire discussion was about why things seem to happen, odd things, at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, of course, the reaction of us and many other people was things happen all the time, you know, that, that might, might be considered paranormal. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, there does seem to be uh, a sort of a, a, an explosion of, uh, not an explosion, but... but uh, a uh, well, an increase, say, in in certain forms of activity. People wake up and see things, and because that in itself makes me suspicious. Because if you're in a dream state or a state between waking and uh, and sleeping, you do tend to be very sensitive to things and maybe can imagine things. Uh, we set a we uh, filmed for two days on a day and a half on that. And we um, expressed uh, with, at great length the notion of the telluric current and other electromagnetic forces that might contribute to such impressions that these things are going on. And, of course, all that was edited out. Everything intelligent, well, most of the intelligent things we said were edited out of the thing. Anyway, so, that, but that's entertainment. That, that's Hollywood for you. So, in any case, uh, animals protecting us from other, other creatures in the multiverse. Well, 
certainly when you have cats who seem to be able to detect when someone is in the process of translation or dying, as it's commonly known, you, I suppose, can also have animals that are very sensitive to inhabitants of the multiverse. We all have stories of animals who perhaps would uh, get very upset for no apparent reason, bark into a corner, have many cases. Uh, one right here in, in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, uh, some years ago, where uh, the poor dog, and I, I watched this poor little poodle deteriorate just from its nerves in, the, in this very negative situation. And uh, by the time the thing was over, the poor thing, the, the, the hair was falling out and everything else, but it would bark at this corner or at the door, and then, quote, nothing was there, unquote, and something might very well have been. We share our days with... with um, many parallel worlds, if this theory in physics is correct. And uh, I very often compare it with, um, you know, most of us use, uh, if we use computers, use some sort of imaging software such as, uh, I suppose, Photoshop or something like this. And when you go to open a, a file to look at a picture or to work with a picture, and uh, you have the setting uh, at JPG or TIFF or one of the other formats other formats will not appear. The TIFFs will be in the file along with the JPEGs, but you won't see the TIFFs when you, in, in, the, in the directory when you go to open the file, unless you have it set for all files. So uh, they exist, they're fully real, but you can't see them. And they're, they're, they're just as real as the, uh, the other files that can be seen. So I suppose this is a rather poor uh, analogy to, to what's going on, but it, it nevertheless I think is real and sticks and, and applies. So this is interesting. You have the, uh, the bird here making a fuss. Cockatiel, Ben was right, a one-footed cockatiel. Oh, good Lord. But they adopted the bird, and the bird really went crazy at 3 a.m., et cetera, et cetera. So sure, yeah, animals tend to be very sensitive, I think, to these things. First of all, they can hear very often uh, in ranges that far out, uh, outdistance those of humans. In other words, you've heard of the dog whistle. You know, the only dogs can hear it and humans can't. Well, I think this might be a large part of their sensitivity. They, uh, we, we've often found that um, uh, uh, infrasound uh, or standing waves caught in a house can cause the impression of paranormal activity, even apparitions, in, in, to a minor degree. Yeah, I want to study more about that. Yeah. Because essentially standing waves are just, um, I'm trying to remember like the exact definition, because... The only way that they do anything horrible is if they were at a certain frequency that would make things resonate. Like you yes. know, like you know how opera singers, um, they if they sing a certain note, they can break glass. Certain sopranos, yeah. Yeah, because that that um, that that does uh, that that resonates like the glass, like mm -hmm. all, all those um, those uh, particles of glass. They start vibrating and then. Pew, but if you can't hear that sound. And the glass breaks. Aha! A ghost or a poltergeist or something. That's you know? true. It has to. It has to be like high. Well, actually, yeah. by um, because humans can only hear anything from twenty hertz to uh to twenty thousand hertz. So that's cycles hertz being cycles of uh, compression and rarefaction per second. And um, so I, I don't I don't I don't know how much it is for dogs. I'm definitely gonna look this up. I think I'm, it varies I'm definitely going to do more. Species, yeah. I'm going to do more research on this because it's it's definitely got some psychic acoustic psychic acoustic psycho acoustic aspects to it. Not psychic acoustic. That, that psycho, would be interesting. Psycho acoustic. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, but I think certainly it's uh, just it's obvious simply by circumstantial evidence that the animals do tend to be sensitive to something 
that can tell us what's going on and whether yeah. they're sensitive. Certainly, they don't seem to like a lot of the stimuli they receive, and that could very well be from parasitic entities. So, good question. I mean, our cat's uh, kind of weird. Yeah. Well our, well, our cat is our cat. That's true. Yeah. But thank you, Brian. Very good question. Okay, why don't we uh, take our break? Right. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240 AM on Mondays in our new drive time slot at 6 PM. The paranormal is not what you think it is. You're going to examine the whole thing from a whole new perspective on our show, and we expect that you're going to be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need it. Be there. ON Radio. Okay, welcome back. And we wanted, before we get back to our emails here, I wanted to inform you, of course, about the charities, <clears throat> some of the charities Ben and I support. They can all be found at our website at BehindTheParanormal.com and at NewEnglandGhosts.com. Many of them are veterans charities. USACares.org is one. Uh, check that out. Financially assists veterans and their families when they are in need, and they do great work. Is it locally here? Builders Helping Heroes, uh, run by the Rhode Island Builders Association. They do great work. Uh, literally uh, remodeling and building uh, homes for veterans who uh, are uh, particularly uh, injured or, or the families of veterans who have been killed. And this is, uh, this is great stuff. Also, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our Brothers to the North. And uh, Mike Blaze up in Ontario runs that uh, advocacy group, uh, handles a lot of legal affairs for veterans there, and uh, does a lot of great work. So check all those out. Also, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. A few weeks ago, uh, Tony Loray, the founder and CEO of that wonderful group, was on uh, with us uh, talking about the uh, use of ancient wisdom to reach at-risk youth. We thought that was very original. Oh, I liked it. Very, very interesting. It. Very wonderful, interesting. wonderful man. So, uh, youthmentoring.org. Check that out. And it might be far away for some of our listeners. Uh, well, we have a lot of listeners in California. But, uh, but check it out. Great group. Okay, let's get back to our emails here. Uh, this is from Matt. And Matt does not say where he is from. Oh, uh, yes, he does. He's in Connecticut. Of course. Right. Good old Connecticut. Okay. Uh, I live in Connecticut. Uh, yeah, the old country. Cause I, yes. That's where I'm from originally. Uh, I live in Connecticut and had visited Barra Hack for the first time in 1987. I have to explain what Barra Hack is for those who don't know. There is an abandoned settlement in the uh, Ragged Hills part, as it's called, of, of the town of Pomfret, Connecticut. Lovely, lovely corner of Connecticut. It's known as the Quiet Corner, Wyndham County. And uh, that place was the, the uh, site of my first case in 1971, and uh, several other seminary students were with me, and it was, uh, uh, we've talked about it many times on the show, it was an uh, an eye-opener, and we were never the same after what we went through there. Nothing really horrible, I shouldn't say went through, but what we experienced. It was actually rather wonderful. So anyway, that's what it, so Barahak was the old Welsh name, supposedly, of this settlement. So that's what he's talking about. The, uh, it's otherwise known as the Lost Village in the Pomfret and Putnam area, Spooky. which is in our listening area here. Anyway, uh, he first visited in 1987 and made dozens of trips, including overnight stays in the cemetery until 1991. Yes, I have witnessed all the ghostly sounds that have been recorded in the history books... I don't know how many history books, but I'm the only one to put it in. A, no, there's, it's in several books now, but I think I was the first one to write oh, it. Well, there, there you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, children's voices, the horse-drawn wagons, and felt the dark, overwhelming feelings. 
I didn't feel an awful lot of that. It wasn't any anything really negative. That I, don't I mean, remember. it depends what you you bring in, what you take out of. You know, it. You, that, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. If you true. go in like spooky, scary skeletons, yeah. then yeah. it's going to be <laughs> spooky, scary skeletons. You're right. Yeah. And that was the most intelligent thing in that featurette that I just talked about was you saying that. Well, well, not exactly like that. Singing spooky, scary skeletons. Yeah, well, we're it, it's, well I mean, get the drift. The point being is I'm, your attitude going into a situation really um, affects what's going on around around you. That's true. Whether you know it or not, you have a big effect on your own environment and everything else around you, and same thing with Absolutely. And Absolutely. vice versa. And, and that's the point with paranormal phenomena. If you go in and look at the phenomena without looking at the people, it's a huge mistake. Yep. Because the people participate in the perception, in the reality of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a They it's may a even cause it. it from time to time, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. It's very hard to um, uh, pin down all these things, but it's it's a very participatory, participatory process. Indeed it is. That's right. Yeah. So he saw the stuff I reported, children's voices, horse-drawing writing, but also experienced things that have never been reported. Well, I don't know. An awful lot of people have reported. Myself and at least 10 other people paid a visit on Halloween back in 1988, Decided to pull out the Ouija board. Oh my gosh! Uh, here we go <sighs> on yeah. Obadiah's grave. Obadiah, a man who rejoiced in the name of Obadiah Higginbottom. Ah yes. All right, a Welsh name. Now there were the Higginbottoms and the Randalls, and the Randalls I found out many years they were relatives of ours, rather close cousins. Oh great! And uh, they seem to be, you know, in my opinion, carrying on normal lives in other parts of the multiverse where they haven't died yet and all this business. That's another story. But on Obadiah's grave, well, then all hell broke loose. Well, duh, yes. Uh, when the unmistakable sound of chanting erupted from below down in the area of the foundations, I was one of the two people on, on, on the board and with the others making sure we did not open our eyes. I mean, what were they, like eight years old? You know. Well, I mean, <clears throat> now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know why. I keep every, every story that's being said, I keep thinking of like a comical version in my head. I'm thinking that maybe in some parallel universe, those people that are chanting are probably like singing like good old Christian hymns and probably considering these people like doing like witchcraft or something. Well, it's funny you should say that because when one of the experiences we had in 71, we went there twice and said two expeditions in 71, a period of about four or five days altogether in that year. We went back the following year. Right. Uh, there was one point where we had come up to the cemetery he's describing, so one little burial ground, you know, as little any little village would have at the time. Yeah. And it was very dark. We had our flashlights. We knew the place very well by that time. Cemetery was gone. It was as if it wasn't even there. We began to hear a, a bunch of men mumbling or talking in low voices. There were, it seemed to be a, a rel rather large group. And it was, all, it was like right next to us. Spooky. Uh, yeah, well, it, if I knew then what I think I know now, as I always say, uh, where we just, there was some kind of junction of war. Maybe they were there for a funeral in the late 1700s, early 1800s, maybe when the, the village was thriving, who knows, uh, and they maybe they were probably too busy to feel the presence of a close parallel world with us in it, although right. that's happened, and they, people have thought we were ghosts, 
haunting them. It's very interesting when you look at it from right. this point. Right, so as view. you were saying about witchcraft. So No, no, so, so that might have been, they, if they heard that, they might have thought it was chanting. Oh, probably. All right, because what, what he's talking about is exactly where we heard it, kind of down below. And, and that's why I was one of the original uh, supporters of the idea of the so-called residual haunting. Now I don't think that's good enough because I've managed to change by interacting with it, change the so-called recording. Participatory process. Participatory process. And I think certainly the energies being what they are at, at that particular point, and, and at our point, that's why you may hear the same thing again and again, yeah. uh, because it's some kind of recording, because you're hearing the actual event as it occurred. Mm -hmm. All right, now here, there's more to this. Oh, jeez. Uh, all right. The board told us that there were 76 people chanting. Okay. Uh, we thought it was, it's funny, because uh, our cousin Jonathan Randall was, was a representative of the Connecticut Constitutional Convention before the Revolutionary War. Oh, no, 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 I shouldn't say before the Revolution, but uh, 1787 or 8, yeah. when the Constitution was promulgated, and he voted against it. Really? He thought it was too powerful, the federal government would be too powerful. Ah, all right. We should have counted this blessing. Anyway, yeah. it's a different issue. Please continue. Okay. Uh, we thought it was a cult or a, oh, you know, cult or a Halloween reenactment of some sort. This was not the case. After five to ten minutes, all noise stopped as quickly as it had started. Paul, I saw men and women in tears. We were all scared for our lives. We all picked up large sticks and started to make our way back down to the foundations. Yeah, because the, the actual settlement was below this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and that was an interesting place, too. Cool. Things happened. At this point, we just wanted back to the safety of our vehicles, and at that point, the intense and very loud chanting started up again, and we all ran for the relative safety of the cemetery sticks and stones in our hands. Like, that's going to help, right? Guys and girls crying. How many people were involved in this nonsense? Guys and girls crying, scared to death, and myself trying to calm the storm and keep my friends safe and trying to avoid mass panic. That's not safe, running around in the woods at night in panic. No, not not a smart thing to do. You know what this is? Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Please right, well, continue. After the second barrage of chanting stopped as quickly as it had begun, we made a beeline for the road, only to find no one around. Petrified and hand in hand, I led everyone through the foundations to the cars. Where we? That's not close. It's a good quarter mile, almost, or maybe all, almost quarter mile. Uh, I led everyone through the foundations and to the cars where we promptly got out of Dodge, only to meet up later at a bowling alley in Willimantic where we recounted our experience together. We all knew this was something paranormal. It's created a bond between us that we will never forget for as long as we live. That's it. Uh, Ouija boards. Oh. How many times have we said, don't use Ouija boards? Never mind the disrespect. Uh, actually, he's not reporting anything that I didn't witness there myself. Yeah, well, I, I mean, mean it's all, if it's this, it's all interpreted differently. Well, it is. It's interpreted differently. That's the problem. Perfect example. And I'm working on our presentation for New Hampshire now, and that has to do with, with the Bridgeport, Connecticut poltergeist haunting right. of 1974. Yeah. And I'm one of the few surviving major eyewitnesses to that case. Mm -hmm. The uh, uh, the book, the issue of the book. I had uh, an Eastern Orthodox prayer book with the three-barred cross on it, which would look pretty strange to most people. And there was English, on, it was a prayer book with English on one page and Church Slavonic on the other. That has come down over the last 40 years, because some of the cops saw it, I had it in the front room, as Sanskrit and a book on the occult. <laughs> Do they it not know Cyrillic? 
Well, I mean, most people don't know the Cyrillic alphabet, no. I mean, they don't know what it looks But Sanskrit? Like. Sanskrit? And so that was only cleared up when William J. Uh, uh, Hall, who's, re- who's the author of the book, the book's coming out in September about this case, uh, happened to bring it up, and I said, oh, I can explain that. He said, really? And I, I, and my friend, we went to have lunch with him, and I brought the book with him. Yeah. With me, I should say. And uh, so this is how stuff gets misinterpreted. People interpret it, again, from their own points of view, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier. It about turns the into about spooky some of the... ghost stories. Yes, exactly. But... Uh, I mean, talk about I, I, this. This 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 is takes the the giddy biscuit as far as being really strange is concerned. Using a Ouija board in a situation like that, but people do it. That's why we say stay away from this stuff. Try to read intelligent books if you can find any, and uh, don't go getting involved. It's just you know, it's really it can wreck, wreck you psychologically. Indeed, it can. Anyway, moving uh, on. Moving right on. All right, this is from Shirley. Does not say where she is from. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's not from Shirley. Uh, this is from John in Ocean City, New Jersey. Sorry about it. Who's Shirley? Oh, <laughs> sure. Don't call me Shirley. All right. right. Um, so, dear Mr. Eno, I am a podcast fan. and look forward to listening to you and your interesting uh, guests frequently, especially Dr. Friedman. Just a respectful well, he's not a doctor. He's got a, a master's degree. Right. Well, whatever. Just a respectful... Not to him. He's, he's a great physicist. Right. Anyway. So just a re- respectful criticism of the broadcast quality. We can hear an open mic talk, uh, talking in the background when guests are talking. It's just a little distracting to a listener. Maybe you might not be aware of this. Thank you again uh, for the... For uh, for informative and uh, entertaining programs, your show is a diamond in the rough. Best to you and your son, John. Uh, wait, let me see that. Well, great. Well, I mean, there, nice. there's a reason we're reading that. Uh, there, there are continued problems with the podcast, uh, particularly from the early days when we had done the UFO series on Rendlesham Forest. There was all sorts. Uh, we did that on CBS, and there was all were all sorts of bizarre f- sounds in the background. The producers never figured, the engineers never figured it out. We have problems with our podcast that don't seem to have much of a ready explanation. It'd be nice if he said which which version of the show this was on. Well, that's why. Well, but this yeah, is in September, so it could be shows. it could be either or. Yeah. Well, one of the problems is too, and if you notice on the website now we have. Coming up, again, on uh, well over 550 free podcasts on the BehindTheParanormal.com website. However, I will go in and check them every now and then. I don't know if you ever have a chance to, but... Mm, and I'll check, no. and sometimes the oh, file corrupted. It was fine the day before. Um, it'll be uploaded again, be fine for and then it'll be corrupted. Now, I don't... And I've talked to everybody involved in this. Triple, quadruple backups. Th- there, there are constant attacks... On the website from third parties, we don't know what is doing it. So again, our apologies. It's a good thing we don't charge for things. People would yeah. be really mad. Yeah, but our apologies for the quality of some of the podcasts. And we we, we do the pod, podcasts are everything. I mean, not everybody can listen live to this show. I don't run a, either on a computer or or in the local listening area here. So yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, we kind will of continue to upload them. Yeah. And when you see one, and when when you hear one that is not that is corrupted, and you can't access it. Please let us know. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com or Bennett BehindTheParanormal.com. Actually, it doesn't work. All right, well, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. Also, the Facebook page works as well. The Facebook page works as well. Uh, and, and just let us know, and we will upload it, see that it's uploaded again, and uh, just deal with it that way. But that, that is the situation, and we, we're still working to find out what the problem is and all this. Indeed we are. So it's, in other words, don't blame us. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, here's um, one on angry ghosts. This is from Nils in Liverpool, UK. Alrighty, so Nils writes to us, I am a ghost hunter, and many times I run into ghosts that are angry, either because people in the house make them angry or because they died that way. How do you deal with angry ghosts? On the other hand, do you feel that all angry ghosts are really parasites? Alright. Loaded question. Yes, well, it's a good, it's a good complete question. Well, I mean, angry... What do you mean angry? I mean, I, there, there are... Um, the, the common understanding of this is that you know if if somebody is um angry when they die they stick around the house and they'll bother anybody who moves in kind of like beetlejuice or something you know but book for the recently deceased yeah yeah but i i just you know i just again i don't think that quite does it i don't think that's how it works I think that when you, ha- I think it's very similar when you have. Oh, I'll give you an example. There was a, a case here in uh, One Socket, Rhode Island, when we had a, a um, sort of an old woman. That was the perception, anyway. Yeah. Uh, the family would get up, very positive family, good people, came downstairs, lovely big house, and the rocking chair would be rocking by itself. Quote, all right. Right. Uh, we were in the. I don't. Th- you weren't involved yet. Nope. When we were doing this, but we were, we were in the attic. Uh, the picture we got is on the front, is on the cover of my book, Footsteps in the Attic, because there was a there were orbs that were uh, recorded there, um, and uh, there was a clearly looked like a face of an old woman in it. We could feel something arriving. Uh, it was there was a breeze and this sort of business, and all this sort of thing. And I think what that was was it was not the spirit or the remnant of an old woman who had lived in the house and died there. In my opinion, it, it was the uh, actual old woman in a parallel reality where she had not yet died. Heard, and when, when these, these worlds come together, the only thing separating these worlds is, is a rather thin, uh, if you want to call it a veil, I hate to because it's got baggage, of electromagnetic energy, which we have pictures of in some cases, I believe. And she heard footsteps in her attic. That's why I thought it was kind of an uh, in-joke uh, uh, to uh. use that as the cover of the book. See what you did there. And uh, she came upstairs to see what the noise was. That's what I would have done. Other people would have, might have been frightened, but this apparently is a rather brave person. And uh, she didn't see anything. Went back downstairs. That's how these worlds seem to interact in many cases. They think we're ghosts haunting them half the time. And if the only view we have is what I call the island theory, what we call the island theory, that human beings are self-contained little units uh, where everything is inside, all the memory, all the brain power, all the imagination, everything that is part of us is inside our bodies, then that's the only way you can believe in ghosts as remnants of dead people. It all, it all leaves your body when you die, and what's left is the, yeah, the haunting. It's, just, it's a philosophical misnomer. And it's it's just, a terrible mistake, in my and opinion. It just, it just cancels itself out, because it, it doesn't make sense. Well, quantum physics has blown the island theory right out of the water. Well, we are, in a way, one great big life form. Physically and spiritually. Physically, spiritually, and any, any, any other way. And the idea that uh, imagination and memory and things like this are non-local. The idea of non-locality in physics, it's outside of us. It's shared somehow. Changes everything. So, back to the old woman, I think there's a certain sharing of realities here. And that's what it was. I don't think it's dead people at all. I don't think there can be any such thing as death in a multiverse where everything 
is possible, including you being in many, many different worlds. So that, that, we've talked about that many times, and that's yeah. the point. So the whole idea of the angry ghost, yeah, if, if you are sharing the same space with an angry person or... It's just like being I, or entity. It's well, they're probably just annoyed because you're like probably yelling at them. Well, they might not be annoyed. Days. They not even know you're there. Yeah, I find that oftentimes that they might be just annoyed and having a rough time in their own worlds. Got up on the wrong side of the bed. That because of this sharing sends out echoes across the multiverse, and you pick it up. Oh yeah, and so it might not even be a ghost at all or anything like that. And you know the whole idea of ghosts that we have, I think, is not not good enough. No, no, no. So. Enough. um Anyway, uh, or, uh, then the other part of his question here, that all angry ghosts are really parasites. And parasites, for those who don't know, are, are non-human, in our, in our book anyway, non-human entities who feed upon the energy of other beings, and they seem to be multiversal. They, can, they seem to be able to move between worlds. It sounds really crazy, but they're kind of like cosmic mosquitoes. Yeah, basically. And uh, that's, that's essentially how it is. And in our folklore, uh, we experience them. They come down in our folklore as demons, evil spirits, because you can't always see them. And Again, when you do... Context. Context, absolutely. Context is everything. And uh, they, they, they... Well, I have had physical contacts with them, which is why I have not uh, for some time, believe that they are spirits in any sense of non-corporeality, and there we, there you have it. So, uh, it is possible that that. Um, and here's the question that often arises, Ben: Is people have often asked, could parasites be human beings who have died here and 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 are maybe in some form somewhere else or something, or or, or just have so little humanity left that they just well, feed upon dead. us? Well, not even dead. I mean, somewhere, someone, we're all parasites. Well, that's the thing. There is a connection even with the parasites, yeah. which can be a very disconcerting, disconcerting thing, but it kind of puts exorcism and possession, and which I've unfortunately had some experience with, in an entirely different context. And I look back on those things. This is going to be part of our program in New Hampshire, too, when we mm. speak up there. Is, uh, that really changes that whole understanding. And this, this, again, of course, being the 40th anniversary of the Exorcist film, and one of my early mentors was Father, uh, Father John Nicola, a Jesuit priest who was the spiritual advisor for that film, and probably the greatest living exorcist of his time in the 70s, and um, I, he was my, one of my mentors. So anyway, that, that, and I, he seemed to be open to my ideas, but I, haven't, I hadn't developed these ideas yet. I wonder what he would have thought of them. But in any case, uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think you, in order to get the right answer, you have to, have to ask the right question. Right. So I'm wondering if, you, if uh, maybe this... Ask wonderful question, get Yes, wonderful as uh, Dr. Goswami said, ask wonderful question, get wonderful answers. So there we are. <laughs> uh, how much time do we have left there? Uh, i got about five minutes. Okay. All right. Uh, one more, then. Yeah, we can do one more. Uh, ooh, okay. <laughs> that okay. Uh, I don't think it'll be time for this. Some of these are rather long. Of course. Well, okay. I mean, uh, on, on the cryptozoology thing from the previous questions, I wanted to point out that the uh, reports of the Maryland Snallygaster. <laughs> okay, I know it was a new one on me too. Tell, tell me of this Snallygaster. No, Snally Snallygaster. Okay. Like s- All right. Uh, th- this is this is from a website I only just sort of found. Uh, it's um. What is it? I don't know. Uh, well, the latest, a, a Pararational. Oh, I have heard of it. Yes, Pararational.com. And uh, I think it, it's pretty good from what I've seen so far, and we'll promote it as we go. But uh, lots of cryptid creatures can be explained away or are misidentifications of other creatures, as we said. Yes. But what is the Maryland Snallygaster? Yeah, what is it? <laughs> First spotted in 1909, 
That's the same year the so-called Jersey Devil came out of the pine woods of Jersey and attacked Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. Not quite in Godzilla style, but terrorized uh, some neighborhoods. Anyway, since uh, Spur first spotted in 1909, this creature has terrorized the East Coast on several occasions. Well, looking around here, I haven't quite seen anything like that. Yeah, nothing, nothing here. I have my theories on what this monster was or is. Come post your thoughts. So if anybody has anything about the Snallygaster, go to Parirational.com. Uh, they do, but it looks like something out of a medieval woodcut, and I don't think it's quite accurate. <laughs> so, But we will be looking into this a little bit more uh, as, as we go. So, so we can do a wood carving of the Maryland yeah. Snallygaster, Snallygaster, yeah, whatever it is. There are many regional rare cryptids ex- exist that few ever hear of. One of these is, okay, it's supposedly the Washington and Frederick counties of Maryland. Mm. There's the Alaskan, uh, uh, not Alaskan, there's the uh, Mongolian death worm. Mongolian death worm. I think that's my favorite. Anyway, is that, uh, is, okay. Well, anyway, uh, the great go devil, it's also been called, the early newspaper called it that. Descriptions of the beast, beast vary, but in general is described as a reptilian bird. You can't get rid of these reptilians, can you? Ah, uh, but it's a bird. Which supposedly descended from dinosaurs, if you believe certain paleontological theories. Reptilian bird with hooks on the ends of its feet, a massive beak, sounds like that cockatiel landed in the guy's yard, lined with sharp teeth. Well, that's not very bird-like. Other features possibly include tentacles around the mouth and one eye in the center of its forehead. So that's not a Cthulhu. Right. The noise it makes has been likened to that of a locomotive whistle. As I started digging, it, it quickly became apparent that the Snallygaster has changed names over time. It started out as the, the, the Schnellergeist, Pennsylvania Dutch term for monster. Uh, yeah, that would be quick ghost and quick spirit in German. Some other permutations, Snallygaster, Schnell. Oh, I can't. That came from the German. Okay, it was anglicized. All right, well, that's probably about all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll look into the dear old Snallygaster and see what we can come up with. Alrighty, now uh, we so move on to our end-of-show announcements. On Saturday, uh, April 26th, my dad and I will be speaking about poltergeists and my dad's experience with them, and this will be at the New England Parafest at the Crown Plaza in Nashville, New Hampshire, and that is uh, a week from this Saturday. Uh, there will also be uh, other uh, speakers there on many, many paranormal topics, and that includes uh, Tom D'Agostino, we've got Lauren Coleman there for Cryptozoology. Now, Lauren Coleman can't make it. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, Tom D'Agostino time. will be. He's been on our show several times. Indeed. And on on uh, last week's show, we had a drawing for two free tickets to this event, and the winner was Yvette Ayot in, uh, Winso- of Winsocket, Rhode Island. Congratulations, Yvette. So for more information, uh, you can head over to the EssexCountyGhostProject.org. Don't forget to visit our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 550 free podcasts of all of our past shows on both ON1240 and our four-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts and all that stuff. Don't forget about NewEnglandGhosts.com and our Facebook page. Find my books, uh, if you like, on Barnes & Noble Nook e-reader, Amazon Kindle, and Amazon.com, etc., etc. If you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I will be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to the charities Ben and I mentioned. Alrighty, so next Monday, April 21st, right here on WON 1240 and ON uh, com, we will welcome uh, researchers Mary D. Jones and Larry Flaxman, who have assembled some stunning examples of time slips in time <laughs> and space. <laughs> so get your questions to us at uh, paulabehindtheparanormal.com, or you can uh, call in and send it to our Facebook page. We leave you this evening with a thought from American author Robert James Waller. Life is never easy for those who dream. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you 
next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.